Let's turn to God's Word. We'll be reading from John chapter 11. Reading from John chapter 11. Uh, originally, I wanted to read the almost the entire chapter, verses 1 to, to 44. Um, but I decided that we're going to, a little shorter than that, we're going to start in verse 17. So John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. This is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amen. We're coming to God's word now, and as we come, let's pray for his help and blessing on his word. Dear Lord, we pray that as we come to hear from you, pray that you would show us Jesus. Show us his power and his compassion for us, and help us to believe and follow him. We pray that you would do this work through your powerful Holy Spirit. And we pray this in your name. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 5. 
We're reading Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. This morning we're coming to the end of um, a larger section in Mark. There's been three passages, three events, where Jesus showed that he is the Lord of all. He's the divine power and authority as the Son of God, and that he uses that power for our salvation. Remember, he showed that he was the Lord of creation when he stilled the storm. Saw that he showed that he was the Lord over Satan in the spiritual world as he cast out the demons. And this morning we see his greatest display of power yet as he shows that he is the Lord of life who has power to save from disease and even death. So with that in mind, let's read starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened in her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. So look at this passage together. The main idea that we see here is that Jesus calls us to put our faith in him because he is the Lord of life. Jesus calls us, each one of us, to put our faith in him because he is the Lord of life. So we see that this morning, we're going to see three points. We're going to see the cry of faith in verses 21 to 24. We're going to see strengthened faith in verses 24 to 34. 
Finally, we're going to see faith in the Lord of life, verses 35 to 43. Our passage begins with a cry of faith. Jesus returns from casting out thousands of demons from that man on the other side of the lake. And he also returns, remember, from being rejected by many of those man's friends and neighbors. And very soon after he returns, he's met with an emergency. We read in verses 2 to 3 that a man named Jairus came to Jesus and begged Jesus to come and save his dying daughter. And it says Jairus was one of the rulers of the synagogue, so that means he's well-known in the town. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows his daughter. But even though he's well-known, there is nothing that Jairus can do to save his daughter. And Jairus knows it. He tells Jesus that she is at the point of death. Jairus is helpless, completely and utterly helpless. But he hasn't run out of hope. Because unlike many Jews in Jesus' day, Jairus has great faith in Jesus. Listen to Jairus' plea to Jesus. He says, Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. These words are a cry of faith. Jairus trusts that if Jesus acts, his daughter will be made well and live. This is faith. right? Knowledge and trust. Jairus knows that Jesus can do this kind of miracle And he knows that Jesus has done this miracle for many other people. And now Jairus trusts. Jairus trusts that Jesus can do this for him. That's faith. Knowing Jesus, knowing what he can do, and trusting that he does it for you. And as Jairus trusts, Jesus recognizes his faith. He recognizes Jairus' faith and agrees to go and help his daughter. That leads us into our second point, strengthened faith in verses 24 to 34. Because it turns out that there was someone else who needed Jesus' help that day. And this person was completely different from Jairus. Right? She's a no-name woman who doesn't even want Jesus to see her. Completely different from Jairus. But actually not so much. Because both this woman and Jairus are suffering greatly. And both of them have run out of options for help. And both believe that Jesus alone will be able to help them. And Jesus responds by strengthening both the woman's faith and Jairus' faith at the very same time. First, let's notice this woman's suffering. Verses 25 to 26. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years... And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Right, so there's the, the painful physical problem. She's been continuously bleeding for 12 years. She's also suffered repeated disappointments because doctor after doctor couldn't help her. Now she has no more money left and she's just getting worse. Nothing is helping so some of us probably know a bit of how she's feeling here. Uh, we know what it's like to have a long-term condition and to get no answers. Doctors aren't able to help us. Or maybe they're able to help a little bit, but it doesn't feel like we're ever getting better. I think a lot of us in this congregation know what that feels like. Um, we see her suffering. We can relate to her suffering. I want us to feel her helplessness as well. 
We feel her helplessness because there is no more human help available for her. Nobody can do anything else for her except for one man, and that's Jesus. Because in her helplessness, we see her faith. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This is her act of faith. She has heard the reports about Jesus. She knows what Jesus has done for others, and she believes with confidence that Jesus can heal her as well. Even just touching his clothes is enough to heal her permanently. Now, touching Jesus' clothes may seem like an odd way to be healed. Normally in the Gospels, we see Jesus touching somebody or, or speaking to them and healing but as we see later, actually, in Mark chapter 6, this was one of the ways that Jesus healed, even through his clothing. And the point here is that even just by touching his clothes, she is completely healed. That is, that is the power of Jesus at work here. Complete, utter healing from even this brief touch. Verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. It's Jesus' power at work. Even this, again, slight touch is enough to cure the greatest disease or the longest chronic condition. That's Jesus' power over disease. It's part of what it means for him to be the Lord of life, that he controls all aspects of our life and he's able to heal. Now, you might think that the story now could end, right? We could stop in verse 29. This woman is now healed. Jesus has showed he's the Lord of life. And now Jesus can move on and heal that other little girl, that girl who is dying at Jairus' house. But Jesus stops. Jesus stops and he spends time you might not think he has to spare. He spends that time to find this woman and to strengthen her faith. In verses 30 to 32, Jesus repeatedly asks who touched him. We see in verse 30 that he, he felt the healing power go out from him, but the woman tries to hide from him. She tries to hide in the crowd, just blend in. Nobody. She doesn't want anybody to know. Now, when Jesus asks who touched him, he knows who it was. Right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows who this woman is. But he's asking these questions to purposefully draw attention to the miracle, to the woman, and especially draw attention to her faith. And here's the result, verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. This woman is publicly confessing how Jesus healed her. Right? She told Jesus the whole truth, but this wasn't in private. This was in the middle of a crowd, a crowd that was so thick that people kept bumping into Jesus. When this woman confesses her faith, everybody hears. And even though she is scared, she's willing to do it. And look at the reason she does this. Again, verse 33, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came to Jesus. The knowledge of what Jesus had done for her, the way her faith had been answered, was more powerful than any fear that she felt. Do you know what this kind of fear feels like? Probably do. Maybe somebody asks you about your faith 
or you overhear something and you know you really need to speak up, but you feel afraid. You feel afraid to stand up for God and to proclaim the good news. Well, I hope this woman's experience then is an encouragement to you if you ever feel that kind of fear. What stands out is not this woman's strength. Remember, she wants to hide. Okay, what stands out is not her strength, but it's Jesus' strength in her. He's the one who gives her strength to confess his name. Doesn't take away her fears. Notice that it doesn't take away her fears. But she has his help now. And with his help, her faith conquers fear. He can give you that same kind of faith, that same kind of strength as well to speak for him. So Jesus strengthens her faith. And he strengthens her faith enough so that she can publicly declare what he has done for her. And he goes even further in verse 34 to strengthen her. Notice what he says. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says this to the people he heals many times in the Gospels. What does Jesus mean? I mean, he's the one who heals. He's the Lord of life. He has that power. But his point is that that person's faith is the tool that is present when he heals. Paul explains the same kind of dynamic when he describes our salvation in Ephesians 2.8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Notice what Paul is saying. We are being saved. We are saved by God's grace through our faith. But then he's quick to add, even that faith that you have is the gift of God. But Jesus' work is always the same. Jesus heals and Jesus saves those who have faith, those who put their trust in him. Can you imagine for a minute what an encouragement Jesus' words were to this woman? Jesus tells her that she had the one and only thing that she needed. She had faith in him. And that faith made her well. That is an encouragement that is designed to strengthen her faith because Jesus recognizes and commends her, praises her for believing in him. Jesus has done a great work in this woman's life. And even as he sends her away, he sends her out with strength and encouragement. But he's about to do an even greater work in Jairus and his daughter. That leads us to our third point, faith in the Lord of life. Verses 35 to 43. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? This is, this is crushing news for Jairus. He puts his faith in Jesus to help, and now his daughter is dead, and his daughter is dead because Jesus delayed. Jesus spent more time with that woman over there than he did with my own daughter. Notice what the people say to Jairus. They say, why trouble the teacher any further? The question assumes that Jesus can no longer help. It assumes that Jesus' power is limited. Jesus can heal, yes, but he cannot raise your daughter from the dead, Jairus. But then listen to Jesus. Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear that death has won. 
Only believe. Believe in me. Believe in my power. Believe that I can even raise the dead. Jairus now is right in the middle. He is experiencing a critical test of his faith. On one side is what he can see. The power of death and the people urging him to give up his faith in Jesus. And on the other side is Jesus himself calling him to believe what seems impossible that Jesus can raise even from the dead. But we know that faith always stretches us beyond what we see or experience. Isn't that what faith is? Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But even in that verse from Hebrews, notice that faith has certainty. It's an assurance. It's a conviction. That's because faith always has a strong foundation and Jesus Christ. And that is the foundation that Jesus is calling Jairus to as well. Why can Jairus trust that Jesus can raise his daughter from the dead? Well, Jairus has just heard the woman's confession of faith in Jesus and his power. Right Through that confession, Jesus gives Jairus more reason to believe in him. He is strengthening his faith. And now Jesus' call for Jairus to believe, even that call is itself a way of strengthening Jairus' faith. Because the call to believe contains a promise. Believe that I am able and I will do it. So Jesus strengthens Jairus to pass this critical test of faith. But the tension between experience and and faith continues when they reach Jairus' house. Now it's the mourners weeping over Jairus' dead daughter versus Jesus, who speaks with authority, and he says, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. How do the mourners respond? They laughed at him. They laughed at him. Their laughter, though, seems pretty understandable, right? Think about what they're thinking. This, who is this man, Jesus? Who is this man, Jesus, who thinks this girl is just sleeping? We're not naive, Jesus. We know what death looks like. But when Jesus says that she's sleeping, he is revealing what he is about to do. He is, he's giving a preview of the miracle. Because sleep is a common way in the Bible to describe death, especially for believers. It's a way of emphasizing that death is only temporary because resurrection from the dead is coming. We read from, G- from John 11 earlier about the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus says that Lazarus is sleeping. When his disciples don't get it, he says, he's dead, but he's going to be raised again. Paul also uses the same idea of sleep in terms of death when he writes about our death and the coming resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 and also in 1 Thessalonians 5. So this is what Jesus means at Jairus' house. This little girl is dead, yes. But it's like she is only sleeping because resurrection, her resurrection is coming. That would be hard for someone in Jesus' time to believe and it's hard for us to believe as well because we know how powerful death is. Death is the most powerful thing that we know. All of us die. All of us die and no one we know has ever come back from the dead. 
Death has been here since the fall. It's the consequence of sin. Paul says the wages of sin is death. So we all know we're going to go through it. We all know that we deserve death. But look at Jesus' power over death. Look at he, how he treats death here. Verse 41 to 42. Taking the little girl by the hand, he said, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. It's not even a contest between Jesus' power and the power of death. All that Jesus needs to do is speak. And he breaks the greatest power there is in the entire world, the power of death. There's not even a recovery period for this girl. This little girl immediately is walking around and needing food. Right? This is Jesus' power. He completely restores this girl to full health instantly. That is the power of the Lord of life. The power Jesus has over death. Now we know that ultimately this girl's recovery is temporary because she's going to grow old in a few years and die. But this miracle of resurrection shows Jesus' power, his saving power, and it is part of his work as the Lord of life. All of Jesus' miracles are part of his mission. What is his mission? To proclaim and bring the kingdom of God. To proclaim and bring the saving power of God. And when Jesus raises this girl from the dead, we have the clearest example for many of his miracles, the clearest example of the saving power of God in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus here is proclaiming that the saving power of God rescues and completely restores dead sinners. The curse of the fall is completely broken for his people. That's the gospel. That is the good news of what Jesus came to do. But this miracle is a promise. It's a promise of the fullness of the gospel. Because Jesus has much more to do in his ministry to accomplish salvation, to defeat sin and Satan and death, and completely free his people from those enemies forever. And that is exactly what Jesus does in his death and resurrection. Jesus, who is the Lord of life, dies. He chose to die on the cross. He's the only person who never deserved to die. Think about that. He never deserved to die because he was completely perfect. And yet he gave up his life as a sacrifice in our place to take away our sins and to take away the punishment of death that should be ours. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins. He took the punishment on himself. But the good news of the gospel is also that Jesus was raised for us. God raised him from the dead. And now as the living Lord, he pours out the resurrection life that he has into us to bring us from spiritual death to life in conversion and to do more than that for us in our bodies as well. Because when he returns at the second coming, he's going to use that same resurrection power to raise our bodies from the dead. How can we be sure of that? How can we be sure of that? That Jesus does that for us now and he'll do more for us later. Think of his promises. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the risen Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
Jesus himself is the guarantee that he will raise us up. If he lives, so shall we. So we have his resurrection. We have his life to strengthen our faith. And we have God's promises. So many promises to destroy death. He's been promising it all the way from the Old Testament forward. Isaiah 25. He will swallow up death forever. Or we see what Jesus says in John 11. I am the resurrection of the life. Or what God promises in 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And this is what Jesus accomplishes in the prophecy and revelation. He points us forward to what he will do when he throws death itself into the lake of fire. The Lord of life conquers death. And in heaven, when death has been destroyed, there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no suffering or sickness. There will only be eternal life and eternal joy. Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. Those were the words for Jairus. To believe Jesus could do what seemed impossible. But Jairus had the firm foundation of Jesus, his work and his word to him. And Jesus says these words to us this morning. Do not fear, only believe. These are words for us, especially in the face of death. We will all die unless Jesus returns. And it takes great faith to believe in the resurrection of the dead, even greater faith than Jairus had in the book of Mark. But when Jesus calls us to have greater faith, he gives us a greater, clearer foundation for our faith in his person, his resurrected person, his work to save us, his promises of victory, and his Holy Spirit to work in us. This is the Lord of life speaking to us this morning. There are a few very practical applications of these verses. Let me speak first to those in the congregation who are older. The one I'm about to say applies to all of us. But I think you know this. As you get older, you probably think about death more than when you were my age or even younger. If that's you, know Jesus is strengthening your faith right now, to be able to face your death with faith. Jesus is the powerful Lord of life. And even though we die, death has no power over us. No power at all. We die, but as the hymn says, our death is but an entrance into glory. So be strengthened in your faith to face death. But also there are those of us who grieve. Those of us who are grieving, Jesus says these words to us as well because Jesus is strengthening our faith right now. Believers that we love who have died are completely secure. They are already enjoying eternal life and that means that we can grieve with hope. But Jesus also says these words this morning to those of us who suffer Those of us with chronic conditions, those of us with illnesses, we can pray for healing to the Lord of life. And he has that power to heal. He's done it, and he will continue to do it. But Jesus teaches us here in Mark 5, he's got a much bigger plan for us. Not just to give us some kind of temporary healing on earth, as nice as that would be. No, his plan is to raise us from the dead, body and soul. And he's already done part of that, because he has raised us to spiritual life. We already have half. And he promises the other half is coming. 
when our bodies will be raised, they will be perfect. And we perfect, redeemed body and soul will worship him as the Lord of life forever. Jesus shows us that he is the Lord of life. And the reason he's showing us this is to increase our faith to him. He is saying, put your faith in me, the Lord of life. If you believe in me, I will save you to the uttermost. If you believe in me, you will never be disappointed. That is our confidence. That is our hope. That is our faith. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are the powerful Lord of life, that even death is not able to keep us because it wasn't able to keep you, that you were raised for us, that as you broke the power of death and your death and resurrection, you have broken the power of death over us. And we know that we still die, yes, but we don't have to fear death because we serve you. And we know that you promise us eternal life, the resurrection from the dead and life with you, perfect in body and soul. Lord, this is good news for us. Pray that we would believe it, increase our faith. And Lord, we pray that you would give us this message to share with others who need to hear that there is hope, but there is only hope in you. And we pray that many would believe and turn to you and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.